Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff. Hey, this is episode 130 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And today's episode is about practical strategies for an OFAC sanctions risk assessment. Uh, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And before we get started, a word from our sponsor, Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's Analytics company. Today's podcast episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance is sponsored by Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's analytics company. With information on more than 360 million companies, Bureau Van Dyke is the resource for company data, and they make it simple to compare companies internationally. Their flagship product, Orbis, is used to find, analyze, and compare companies worldwide for better decision-making and increase efficiency. Bureau Van Dyke recently announced its new Compliance Catalyst, which is a data-driven decision engine and risk management platform. Powered by Orbis, new Compliance Catalyst is a game-changer because nothing else combines data, technology, and people power into a single platform. Compliance Catalyst can streamline your KYC, AML, and anti-corruption research and make your client onboarding and customer due diligence process more reliable and efficient. Compliance Catalyst offers several unique advantages, including an integrated platform that combines your data, entity data from Bureau Van Dyke, and flexible due diligence screening, automated and enhanced, instant risk preview, and screening against watch lists and adverse media in seconds, customized dashboard, risk profiles and thresholds, screening and monitoring settings. As part of the Compliance Catalyst platform, several effective modules are provided, including AI-powered adverse media searches and reviews, shareholder power analyses, entity verification and resolution, and integrated enhanced due diligence services. If interested in a demo of the new Compliance Catalyst platform, please contact Bureau Van Dyke at americas at vdinfo.com or call 1-212-797-3550. Well, today we're going to focus on uh, OFAC sanctions uh, risk assessments. Uh, I've been uh, trying to emphasize uh, the importance of OFAC compliance given OFAC's uh, aggressive attitude towards enforcement lately, uh, its sanctions compliance guidance, and the need for companies to uh, elevate their game, as we say, in the uh, compliance space, particularly with regard to sanctions enforcement and sanctions compliance. Uh, many companies, I believe, are be you know a little bit behind, and they need to catch up. Uh, it's not. Uh, as hard, but there are a lot of prescriptive requirements in the in the guidance, uh, and uh, OFAC takes it very seriously. So <clears throat> let's go back and talk about the compliance framework and uh, what the expectations are with regard to assess, a risk assessment, and then I want to uh, get into sort of real practical strategies and ways to divide up your universe of people that need to be screened and monitored and uh, that pose risks. Um, under the, the framework, OFAC made it clear that the purpose of a risk assessment is to identify inherent risks and in order to inform risk-based decisions and controls. And the controls are going to be primarily with regard to screening and uh, research, uh, independent research that's required. 
in assessing its uh, OFAC risks, organizations uh, are required to leverage existing information to uh, inform the process. And in turn, the risk assessment results uh, will generally inform the extent of the due diligence efforts at various points in a relationship or in a transaction. Primarily, uh, the guidance talks about onboarding. Uh, the other area that it talks about is mergers and acquisitions, which, we've, uh, which we're not going to really get into today. But with regard to onboarding, uh, the organization has to basically develop a sanctions risk rating for customers, customer groups, or account relationships, uh, and other relationships, uh, suppliers, uh, distributors, etc. Everybody that you do business with. Uh, and you have to leverage the information provided by the customer using some kind of know your customer or customer due diligence process. And, and the important point here is end independent research conducted by the organization uh, at, at the beginning of the customer relationship. So a customer is directed to conduct a quote-unquote holistic review from top to bottom and assess its touch points to the outside world to identify potential areas where it might engage with OFAC prohibited persons, parties, countries, or regions. And such an assessment should include the following. And these are the, the key areas that we're going to start to drill down on. One, customers, uh, your supply chain, and that means your vendors and suppliers, obviously, uh, intermediaries and counterparties. But also, you have to look at your products and services uh, in, in terms of def defining what are uh, U.S. origin uh, products and goods, including how and where such items fit into other commercial products, services, networks, or systems, and geographic locations of the organization, as well as its customers, supply chain, intermediaries, and counterparties. And as appropriate, you, go, you look at the risk assessment should be updated to reflect changes in the business and the risk profile as you go along. Uh, and also, when you find any deficiencies in the process, like a root cause for, let's say, some uh, violations that have occurred, uh, systemic deficiencies, any of those types of issues have to be identified by the company and then incorporated into your risk assessment for purposes of then designing appropriate onboarding procedures. So most companies have to identify three specific categories, and let's go through those. Uh, a are your customers, second are your distributors or agents, so that's on your sort of distribution side of the business. And then coming into your business organization, your supply chain, your vendors, and your suppliers uh, that come in as well. Now, that also a supply chain assessment has to be done as well, and that includes vendors and suppliers that you are not in privity with. But here, let's talk about, we're going to assume, because that's a topic for another day, but uh, we're going to assume here these are vendors or suppliers that you're going to deal with uh, differently. So we create a, uh, a separate list for each of these categories, in other words, of customers, of distributors and agents, and then your vendors and suppliers. And there are three sort of categories, and then I break those categories or break down those lists according to three t issues. Number one, how much do we spend? or let's say with regard to a customer, how much do we sell? 
Uh, number two is the geographic country or region in which the entity operates, and we'll get into why that's important. And C, uh, and this is a little bit more optional. Some people do this, some people uh, don't, uh, the length of the relationship. And then the overall risk rating that's applied within, let's say, your customers, within that distributors and agents, within the vendors and suppliers, includes three top three components. So that would be ven uh, location risk, amount of spend, and relationship length, which are weighted in your calculation. And so I would weight them. And again, these are just suggestions that I've used uh, in terms of uh, formulas that I've used, which is the driver for your uh, risk rating should be uh, your location. Uh, maybe 70%, 20% maybe your annual spend and revenue, and 10% uh, uh, the length of relationship. Um, and this weighting can be adjusted, and the length of relationship may be omitted depending on relevance to you and your business. And then these three components could then be added and weighted together to create an overall risk rating. So, and the reason that... Uh, I pick uh, annual spend or revenue is obviously the more that you engage in uh, transactions and spend more, uh, the more opportunities there are for violations to occur with regard to um, uh, sanctions violations dealing with a prohibited party. The geographic country region uh, is really important because of uh, proximity to prohibited countries, and also there tend to be more SDNs, or specially designated nationals, prohibited persons, uh, within uh, in closer proximity to certain prohibited countries like Iran. There may be more in Dubai, for example, uh, than there would be in Canada. Um, and that's why we sort of take that geographic location into account. And obviously, we talked about length of relationship. And the reason I've used the length of relationship is um, that if you've been dealing with a customer or dealing with a third party or a vendor for 20, 30 years and you've never had any problems, then there, in my view, is, is that could be a reflection of the fact that they're a good, uh, a good risk and that you know them well. And so, therefore... Um, the risk of them engaging in misconduct is, uh, is lower. So I mentioned here, uh, and let's talk about the geographic factor. For sanctions compliance purposes, uh, location factor should focus on the specific prohibited countries and proximity to such countries, particularly with your vendors and suppliers. Uh, those are going to be really important uh, in terms of this factor. Um, it also comes into, and that's because of the ELF Cosmetics decision, which I've talked a lot about, where there's proximity to, let's say you're in China and you're near North Korea, and there's proximity in sourcing materials from a vendor or supplier there who could in turn bring in uh, materials from North Korea. Um, also, proximity raises the risk uh, that your customer may not be a customer but could be reselling to people in uh, North Korea or in, let's say, Cuba. So the, pro the prohibited countries that we focus the most on in regions, there's one region, but obviously Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, Russia, uh, Syria, North Korea, and the Crimea region. 
So when we look at regional factors, the closer that somebody is to that, uh, let's say a vendor is to those areas, for example, vendors in Dubai would be high risk for me in terms of sourcing from Iran. Similarly, distributors in uh, Dubai would be high risk for me uh, in terms of providing uh, and selling into Iran. That is uh, the key factor here with regard to the geography. Similarly, you know, selling to Eastern Europe, uh, where there is a likelihood uh, that a distributor could then sell into Russia and evade or circumvent certain um, uh, OFAC uh, requirements. Similarly, North Korea and China is a good reason, uh, Crimea and uh, areas around that as well. So, for example, since Iran is a prohibited country like I, like I talked about, uh, in Dubai, there are many trading companies, and these have sprung up uh, over the years, and par many of them, or a great percentage of them, are uh, basically interact with Iran and sell to Iran. So we have to be careful about interacting with these trading companies, and that's why I want to have a high risk rating for any business that's in close proximity to uh, Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, or Russia. Now, uh, so, but at some point when you're looking at, uh, and that's with regard to distributors, and at some point the geographic distance becomes so great that the, there's no economic benefit to, for example, sourcing cheaper material, let's say from North Korea, like they did in Elf Cosmetics. At some point, the geographic proximity is not as significant a factor on the vendor and supply area and maybe possibly on the distributor level as well because of the transportation costs that may be involved in uh, shipping, let's say, from a distributor far away from uh, the ultimate customer in Iran. So you can use as a rough proximity here, you can use this geographic factor and proximity um, and it can slow, and to me, at some point, if it's not quote-unquote close, then uh, there's no need to account for that factor uh, in, that, in that sense. So, um, so for each of the three categories that I mentioned, revenue or spend, uh, for customers, distributors, agents, and vendors and suppliers, uh, and given the uh, and given uh, the distribution among individual entities, a company could assign scores depending on where the individual entity falls in the overall range, and this is key to the idea of the volume of financial transactions and the num the higher the risk of a violation and the severity of a violation to the extent you have more transactions. Uh, we mentioned the length of a relationship with a customer, distributor, agent, and vendor and supplier. And the longer the relationship, obviously, the lower the risk of sanctions violations. Uh, a longer relationship generally reflects the company's better understanding of the entity and a longer time period of good behavior. And we've mentioned that. Uh, so we have different weights. And like I said, you don't need to have the length of relationship and you could have a 70-30 split between geographic location and annual revenue as a way to, um, to use in developing high, medium, and low risks uh, assignments for customers, distributors, agents, and vendors and suppliers. Now for each category, if it's a high risk, if it's a medium risk, if it's a low risk, 
um, what we should, what we have to design along with that are specific controls based on the risk definition of high, medium, and low. So for example, um, I mean, there are many different types of controls we can talk about here, but let, let me give you an example. For example, a high-risk distributor may be required to complete a questionnaire, would be screened, and basically, let's say you have existing uh, anti-corruption procedures for your distributors, including identification and screening of uh, business owners of the distributor. And depending upon those results, you could then uh, try to define certain uh, controls on top of the screening. In other words, you may have, an, uh, let's say some, you may require obviously independent research for a high risk. You may delve deeper into that. You may order a, um, let's say an enhanced due diligence. And with regard to that, uh, looking at all the beneficial owners and making sure you know who they are. And then with regard to a high risk distributor, you may include contractual provisions but more than likely, you're going to need end use cert certifications. In other words, uh, under the Apollo Aviation case, which occurred last year, you definitely need to dig into um, where is your product ending up, depending upon your type of product. If it's a product, let's say I make a dishwasher and I sell it to a distributor and the distributor in turn sells it into Iran, I am on the hook for that. And so what we need are, let's say, a contractual provision saying they're going to comply with OFAC rules and regulations and, uh, and any prohibitions. But you may need more than that. You may need and you should need, uh, you should get more than that because the Apollo case stands for the proposition that contractual provisions alone are not enough to eliminate your liability. And then we need to look into where does the product end up. And this is a hard issue because distributors are usually unwilling to tell you about the customer for fear that you would circumvent them. But we need to explain to them that we need certification or we need to know where these items are going and uh, specific representations and assurances that they are not going to Iran. So that's depending upon how high the risk is with that distributor. For a high risk customer, uh, and again, now you're not with the customer, you're not worried about resale. So the controls here may be uh, different. Uh, but for example, if it's a high risk customer, you still may want beneficial owners of the of the customer and you may screen them and do independent research. But yet again, your uh, your contractual provisions are probably going to be less because this is the end user him or herself. Uh, and so there's not the, the risk of resale since they're not an authorized distributor. A high risk vendor or supplier, however, would be required to complete a questionnaire and it would focus on sourcing and supply interactions with high risk entities, it would be screened, uh, beneficial owners, and then independent research. And again, here we're worried about sourcing from, let's say, a prohibited country. And so again, we may, as part of a supply chain risk assessment, we may audit certain transactions that they have with us and get information as to uh, where exactly they source the material from uh, and require that in our contract so that we can conduct an audit or we can do a sampling of various transactions 
We can require, let's say, an annual certification with transactions. There are lots of controls we can use in these places. So these are three examples of a high-risk distributor, how you handle it, a high-risk customer, a high-risk vendor or supplier. And then the requirements can uh, go down with regard to if they're medium risk or low risk and in terms of the controls. So the requirements would vary depending upon the category of the entities and the level of risk. I mentioned here uh, independent research, and OFAC has specifically directed that companies should conduct independent research from the screening results in order to ensure appropriate dil diligence. Such research uh, should incorporate questionnaire information, follow-up on screening data and results, internet research, and other appropriate sources depending upon the specific situation and risks, and you may want to order, for example, an enhanced uh, due diligence report. Um, and after screening and review of a questionnaire, depending upon the relative risks and results, companies should apply a range of controls that I mentioned to you, which are follow-up and com confirmation requests, contractual provisions, audit rights, and access to information, and user certifications and disclosure. Now, you always have the general the, uh, controls like training, compliance, documentation, uh, and uh, certifications, as we've mentioned. So that's uh, sort of the, the look of where we are with regard to OFAC risk assessments. And, uh, you know, I hope this was helpful. Uh, there's, uh, there's also a need, and I probably will do a separate uh, episode on how to do your supply chain because that's raising a lot of interesting uh, issues. Anyways, uh, see you soon on the next episode. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about our services and compliance programs uh, support that we provide at our website, www.volkofflaw.com our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, Compliance, and, of course, our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff.com. Let us know.